We are shows what you know. We'll always watch TV. And if you think we can't, we'll watch more and you'll see. That's why the people of the web believe in Jim from Las Vegas and Jacob from Sweden. Extra, extra TV podcast falls behind. Oh, and also maybe something about these letters that were leaked to the media that slander Gilead's good name. Welcome to the Gilead Gazette. I am Jim Scampoli. Looks like when we said stop the presses in the last episode, it went quite literally, but not one to leave you hanging. I need to check in with you to discuss The Handmaid's Tale, episode nine of season two, Smart Power. Apologies for my co-host, Jacob Burrows, uh, Sweden's favorite son. Uh, He's going through some stuff, getting ready for a big move to soon become maybe another country's favorite son. Uh, But I know a lot of you guys are probably already on episode 10, and that's okay because we're going to talk that as well, maybe in a little split type of discussion, but we'll see what shakes out. Let's go over some things real quick, at least my thoughts here. Um, because I'm by myself, so I get to just splur my opinions and no one can challenge them. But anyways, so on this episode, episode nine, entitled Smart Power, this is where the Waterfords travel to Canada to see how the other side lives, which is strangely like how this side used to live before everything went down. Uh, I had some issues with the way some of this plays out because uh, it feels, I mean, with season two in general, the way they keep opening up this world, it's, I've lost my grasp on how we've gotten to Gilead. Now, I understand, yes, there was an attack. Yes, these extremists did take over. Um, and I've, the, the, the flashbacks have been great the way they show things, how they slowly start to happen. And then before you know it, you're a handmaid and aunt Lydia is like burning your arm at a stove. But the issue I run into is, um, now that we see that there these, I mean, I guess I'm kind of answering my own question because it's kind of like. You know, in current day, there are places where things are afoul and in other places, everything is hunky dory. So I guess I get that. It's just it's tough because the way Canada looked in season one, like, yes, it was a place to travel to where the refugees went and all that. But it also felt like things were kind of fucked up where there wasn't there was like. It wasn't Gilead, obviously, but they didn't quite have this infrastructure. But now the way things look, I mean, especially when we're dealing with in season one, the fact that and we've brought this up quite a few times, you know, the idea of uh, the handmaids being kind of like a resource, a natural resource of Gilead that they were going to share out to Mexico just because it they were building up that the world was in these dire straits. And that's what pushed these people, these extremists to take over. But now we have Econo Wives, where it does seem like people can get pregnant. Now we have Canada that looks like everything is, like, fine for the most part. I mean, given we're only seeing where the the opulence and the rich people are traveling to. But it it starts to break the show, in my opinion, 
Um, ah, that's hard to say. I mean, I get it. Like, maybe it's just because we're in Gilead so much where it's such torture and it's kind of part of the point, like I said. So it's like you, you, you forget that, you know, if you're in this third world country today, we're here listening to podcasts, dissecting TV shows about a possible future that, uh, it would be a bum out, whereas someone else might be living that life. So, I mean, I guess that that is kind of part of the point. But, you know, as we go through this episode, um, of course, uh, the Waterfords are not on the best of terms, because as we've seen with Serena getting her flogging or by uh, the commander in the last episode and their relationships fairly strained as she was getting closer to June and maybe seeing the error in her ways. And I'm a big I'm a big naysayer of Serena Waterford. I still hate her. I still think she should be driv- she should be dragged by a car down the street. Uh, all is not forgiven. And I know I know you out there. I know a lot of you out there. You're on Serena's side. And I'm sure this is part of the show. This is the bait and switch is that we're supposed to see these temptations, this want of her to maybe or or this regret from her of the world she created and maybe wanting to go to a better world. Uh, as we see Joel from Parenthood show up, by the way. I don't know if I got all my Parenthood heads out there, but that was a welcome addition. I assume that means we'll be seeing him again. Not that he's really recognizable to anyone but me or people that watch Parenthood. Uh, but, yes, so she's being tempted, you know, by this life uh, on Hawaii, and maybe, you know, things could go back to normal. Maybe she gets some more power. Maybe step out of Gilead. And as we see, uh, she experiences these sideways glances and this maybe look of disgust by Canadians. And and honestly, in a weird way, I mean, obviously not to this extreme, it's not quite the same, but uh, I mean, it's got to be almost in the same vein as, um, you know, wearing a burqa in certain places. And again, I understand in some cases the burqa is about empowerment, but in other cases it also isn't. So uh, I feel like there's definitely some parallels there. Um, I mean, obviously we know the the horror, the, the truth here that the Canadians are right. I'm not saying it's right to not let your child r- ride in an elevator if someone has a burqa, but I'm just saying some of the, the history there and some of uh, what it could mean in certain relationships, clearly not all. Um, now, uh, the more interesting thing to me, because again, this, this Canada stuff obviously gets to a great point because we're starting to see some of these characters interact that we would never thought would happen. So I get that because it's weird. I don't understand why Canada would even be visiting with the commander and Serena. I understand it's some sort of ambassador thing. And we get to a point where the letters are released and it's kind of this eye-opening. But what did the letters tell everyone that we didn't already know? I mean, you already have you already have this influx of refugees from Gilead that show up in Canada. I mean, we know Moira and we know who's June's husband, Luke. Um, terrible with names sometimes. Yes, Luke. I mean, we, we know at least them, and then we know there are plenty of people like them. So this this story has been told. Uh, I, I I get that 
the letters do put a name to it more. And again, that kind of with the theme we've seen a few episodes ago when these handmaids are given names and it, it's a really powerful moment to really put a face to what's happening. But it feels like you already have that. Uh, at the very least, like, yes, the, the letters being released would maybe be more of an influx and um, like an influx of like outrage or a sense of urgency because it like hits it home again. But it's just weird to think that they were at this point where they're visiting ambassadors. And again, I guess if I could answer my own question, it's parallels to current day where uh, a lot of, um, I guess, quote, civilized societies or countries are dealing with um, places that are not uh, that great and maybe potentially evil or dangerous. So, I mean, hey, I guess uh, timing's great. Trump and North Korea. <laughs> but still, it's just still... F- it, I guess it's because the show's so so zoomed in on June, which is good. I'd prefer that. I don't need the show to be checking in with Mayday and checking in with Canada all the time. Uh, but I guess it's just kind of a shock to the system if there's not a little bit more understanding what's going on outside when stuff like this happens. Um, the more interesting thing to me, I mean, obvious, I mean, the best part of the show clearly, uh, is, is always June, um, and her story and how she's going through that. Uh, so as she's kind of trying to, in a weird way, accept, not really defeat, but put the good of her unborn baby ahead of her own well-being because it's where, you, uh, as we learned early in this episode, Serena is saying, you know, we're not going to do the standard handmade thing where usually the handmaid hangs around for a little while after the baby's born. It's probably for the best that you, uh, you know, hit the bricks toots once the baby's born. And I mean, as far as we know, that basically could mean just death. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. At the, I guess at the, I don't know what else to do. We'll send her another home. I mean, I don't know. Maybe handmaid handmaids are more valuable as we learned by Emily and um, Janine being released from the colony. So I guess maybe she'd just be sent somewhere else. But I mean, either way, she's not going to have interaction. She's not going to be able to protect the baby. So we see throughout this episode as she's trying to set up some sort of support system with any type of connection, with any type of power she has throughout this episode. Uh, Of course, speaking to the Martha and even speaking to um, Aunt Lydia, which we know is a terrible person, another person that, you know, should be dragged by a car, maybe a horse or something through the streets, and everyone can hit them with shoes where their bodies are just dragged through the streets. But we know that she has this twisted capability of love, maybe not love, but like care. I mean, obviously, she doesn't think she's a villain, even though she is, but she has she has sympathy. I mean, we've seen it for Janine and for the handmaids, even though she thinks she's right there's this weird morality and it is a smart move by June to know that, you know, the way Lydia acts for, for, for a baby, that's going to be very important. And she'll put that above all else. Uh, so yeah, turning to the Martha and of course, Martha just says, I know, I know her name's not Martha. She is a Martha, but 
you know, she says she could do what she can, but uh, she could get beat up by this uh, weirdo guard, which finally, you know, if we could talk about that, the guard, I mean, I guess this is some new guy they bring in to kind of hold the fort down while Nick's away. But this is the guard we expect. This is the Gilead guard we've been expecting from season one because we did not see a Gilead guard like this in last week's episode when when June's just telling them, chill, I got this, as Janine's freaking out in the streets. But here the, the they go. I mean, it's kind of convenient. Now when they don't need it, he's like pistol whipping her or beating her up um, because he's just a fucking young, dumb, and full of cum, and this dude don't care. Uh, and speaking of that, speaking of young, dumb, full of cum, he's clearly making moves on Nick's wife. Nick don't care. Nick's not concerned about it. Um, this guy is one to be reckoned with, as we'll see. But, yes, he's finally acting the way we expect a Gilead guard to act, uh, holding it down, and that's kind of what she, the point uh, the Martha makes is that, you know, if this guy decide, if I try to say, hey, I'm protecting this baby, and he knocks my teeth out and beats the shit out of me, no one is going to listen to me. And that's the harsh world that we live in in Gilead. Meanwhile, up in Canada, people just chilling, living life as normal till they read some letters. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, uh, yeah, so basically, like, we're seeing this uh, this path of June, and, and that's how uh, resourceful June is because she has very little power, but she's setting up this system and it's but it's it's coming from hopelessness and i mean obviously this show excels at hopelessness that's why these small glimmers always hit so hard and meanwhile yes we have serena kind of looking at the utopia that is known as canada and dealing with her hobbies and kind of uh like her place i guess because you know she's obviously she's not going to be involved in meetings she's just has to deal with knitting and her flowers and her whatnots uh, but meanwhile, Joel from Parenthood comes in with the potential to save the day. I mean, to be continued on that one, they're leaning a little too strong towards this Serena thing, which is why I'm not falling for it. But even if she did it, even if she somehow did it, uh, none is forgiven. None is forgiven. Never. This, this guy right here, never forgiving Serena. And I know, like I said, I know you out there. I know you're getting your sympathy. Now you want to root for her. Now you think she's got a heart. Now she thinks she has a soul. I don't think so. Not happening. Um, and yes, so as Joel does mention, he's a representative from the American government. Now, like, I guess, I mean, obviously, if I'm doing a podcast discussing this show, that's why I want to get into some of these details. And I've seen some different uh, people's renditions of what they think the map would look like. I, I guess in some cases I've seen that basically America is now like Alaska. It's just like kind of Alaska and maybe down the coast, at least from what some people are interpreting. I don't know where they're pulling this from. I don't know if this is from the book or not. I've seen that it's like kind of the Northeast is Gilead going into the colonies, which split up. Um, actually, can I find this real quick? which split up, but then supposedly the West Coast is Mayday. I mean, I knew Mayday, of course, as the um, kind of uh, not really terrorist group, but like the rebellion. Uh, I didn't really th think of it too much as a uh, part of the country, but I guess that does make sense. Uh, let me see. I'm just trying to pull up uh, real quick here. Okay, here we go. Here we go. 
So yes, from the one I'm looking at, again, I don't know how true this is. I believe this is from the Facebook group. United States is Alaska, um, kind of down the western coast, a little bit of Canada. Then we got Canada's Canada, of course. Uh, Hesperia, which I don't know what that is. Um, Gilead, of course. Yeah, it's kind of like the northeast going down the coast. But then the colonies kind of pick up in Florida and then a little uh, a little bit to the west of the coast as well. And then we get the Baptists, which I didn't realize have their own area. And, of course, we got Mexico. Mexico's Mexico. El Norte is kind of like the Texas area going into Mexico a bit. Um, what's the... Oh, desert. The desert's the desert. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I would... I, I, I get the show. I don't want the show to, it's weird because I want to know this stuff, but I don't want the show to waste time on this stuff either because I don't need to cut to the war room and see, you know, the commander looking at his map saying, ah, oh, Nick, remember the socialists? That's another area. Socialists over there up, uh, like Michigan area up North. Ah, Nick, we need to go into the socialists and we need to get, you know, a key to the wizard's room or something. But I want it somehow. Uh, I guess it would just have to make sense. It's just weird because when we start getting into this other stuff, it's hard to get a grasp. But the ends justify the means. What I'm doing is nitpicking, which is fine, because in the end, we get some of these interactions. We get to see Luke at the um, protest, and he gets to see the commander, and he gets to kind of like... We get that moment. I mean, obviously, he's not going to be able to rip his head off or anything like we want, but he's going to go at like he's going to go at him. He's going to be able to like kind of talk shit to his face, show him the sign, and we even get Moira gets to show up with her sign that says her name. Like these are great moments. So the the nitpicky stuff is forgiven, and I'm sure a lot of you didn't even have these same nitpicks. That's fine, um, but it, it ends up being worth it because we get these moments, and of course, then we get Nick showing up at the bar to speak to Luke and now we're in our YA novel which we've known we, we've been on a highway to the YA novel this whole time because even though I um I mean I guess I'm a shipper I ship June and Nick but I'm not a, I, I I haven't been too excited about this potential love triangle that's going to happen because you got smoldering Nick and then you got dependable Luke and then they, they I mean that's that's her baby daddy but then you got you got Nick, who's been helping her out in her di- most direst of times. Not that Luke wouldn't. Of course, Luke would. Um, so now we're entrenched in this. But either way, we get the showdown. We get them to kind of have some back and forth. We finally get some a resolution with the letters, as excuse me, Nick's able to deliver them. Um, and the most important thing is that it all comes together, where. Uh, Nick can deliver news to June because I mean I guess that's kind of been the puzzle all along it's like how are we going to get some sort of communication and I kind of they kind of balance this a bit in season one but how are we going to get some communication between these characters without June just escaping or like sneaking away to a payphone (laughs) something lame like that uh so yeah and I mean they you know they have the letter they have the line where it's like uh 
letters, you know, I thought I thought it was going to be a bomb or something, something to go boom. And it's like information, baby, like just like we saw in the other episode where the pen was the bomb, uh, the bomb trigger. Here we are again. Communication. It's more important. I mean, if you want if you could take some out, like even though, of course, we had we had the bomb, of course, this season, which was great, still doesn't reach the heights of Emily running over some guards. That still reaches the height. Yeah, letters go boom. Yeah, the pen's mightier than the sword. But the tire running over a guard's head, that's the greatest part. Um, stupid. So, yeah, anyways, as we know, the letters get leaked. Uh, Waterford gets kicked out of Canada, which, again, I don't know why he was invited there. He was invited there so he could see Luke and Moira and uh, Nick could get the letters. It was all an inside scoop. It was an inside job. And the protest, they sing America uh, the Beautiful. And um, Serena, I mean, yeah, I guess we do have a scene where Serena kind of takes a second glance at the Hawaii bar uh, matchbook but throws it in the fire. There's no hope for her either way. I mean, there's only hope that she would maybe kind of sacrifice herself for June's unborn baby. But otherwise, I have no hope for her and uh, drag her by a car. And then, of course, we get... I mean, I, I'm going to go back on what I just said a few minutes ago. Yes, I'm not a fan of the love triangle, but juicy drama when your current side piece, Nick, has to deliver a message from your baby daddy, Luke. And, you know, I like that. Not that she should, but I don't know if some shows would try to have June... Uh, contain herself a bit just for Nick's sake. I like that she's just, as she should, she's extremely happy. She's extremely excited to get this news and find out that Luke's still alive and to find out that uh, Moira is still alive and she made it out and the letters are out. So it's obviously some big victories when she's basically been doing a uh, hopeless uh, godmother tour to set up some support system and again as we know from the show it's all built on small moments of hope to keep you going uh, so Nick just has to kind of uh, mope his way out of there deal with it deal with it dude you're the side you're a side dude and you're married uh, so hit the bricks let her enjoy this moment and again I mean the, it's getting a little bit redundant where these episodes end with June having her moment or basically having her episode of sadness and hopelessness and then finally looking in the camera and being like, yeah, let's do it. It's still a good moment, but it's still like we get it. Like, all right, let's do it. Yes, let's fucking do it already. Go for it. Do something. What are we doing here? Because, of course, she says, you know, I was going to maybe settle for you growing up here. Fuck that. Moira got out. Moira's Hannah's godmother. Thematically, like, if that happened in your real life, you'd be like, wow, thematically, this works great. You would have you would have that excited moment because you're like, I can't believe how thematically my life is working out right now. This is a sign. That means it's going to be okay. I'm going to get out of here. But there's three episodes left, so we'll have to see where that goes. Clearly, we're going to have another round of sadness before some hope at the end and uh rinse and repeat either way great show 
Uh, hopefully we get back on a regular uh, discussion with you. Um, Sweden's favorite son should be back in action very shortly. If you have any thoughts on this show, please send them to shows, which, you know, show at gmail.com. Uh, also check out some of our other discussions on shows, which, you know.com. We're discussing Westworld and Sopranos right now. Uh, we got some other things coming up in the pipeline and one more thing. Stop the presses.